Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everyone, and welcome back into the Moment of Clue podcast. Thanks for joining today. Hope everyone's having a great week. For the last six months or so, I've spoken to a lot of athletes whose careers and lives have been changed by COVID-19. Whether it's with in-game attendance or altogether canceling the Olympic Games, there's no denying the impact the virus has had on sports. This week's guest speaks to that. Colin Jones is an Olympic gold medalist and he holds the world record in the 4x100 meter freestyle relay. He's also an ambassador for USA Swimming and on this episode, we talk about the impact COVID has had on the sport, particularly when it comes to swim safety, being a role model for inclusion in the sport of swimming and encouraging diversity. He also tells me how he trains and it involves putting pictures of his competition on his fridge. But first, a message from our sponsor at BetOnline. The NFL season is in full swing and you might not be able to be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So I hear you know my roommate, Brandy. I know your roommate really well. <laughs> <laughs> she said you guys had a blast. She and I go way back. Uh, she's awesome. Um, back to when she was working at USA Swimming and doing media. And yeah, we go back. <laughs> so fun. It's such a small world. I was telling her the other day, I was like, yeah, but Colin Jones on my podcast this week. She's like, get out. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Um, well. You've had quite the swimming career, uh, but before the gold medals and the world yes. records, you and Cindy got <laughs> off to a little bit of a rough start there. Yes, um, it has. It was definitely a rough start for me. I was uh, almost drowned at the age of five. I like to always make fun of all of my fellow um, only children as being spoiled brats. I was the same, and my parents wanted to get on. Uh, the biggest water ride at Dorney Park in Pennsylvania. And I wanted to follow suit. My dad is my idol. He's getting on it, I'm getting on it too. So we get to the top of this ride and my mom starts to have second thoughts saying, this is probably not the best of ideas, but if you really wanna do this, sure, let's do it. My dad goes down first, I go down second, my mom goes down last. And I think what's important about this story is that, I was fully supervised. There were lifeguards there. My parents were there. I wasn't horse playing. And I I think a lot of people have this misconception that um, it's always when someone's doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. And I was not in that case. I went down this ride. I flipped upside down. They were yelling at my dad. They were yelling at my dad to hand the inner suit to the next person. He didn't see me. And um, I was underwater for 30 seconds. And they say a child can have brain damage um, after about 30 seconds. So you know, now in the life of, of cell phones and distractions, it's so easy. So, so the work that I do with um, Make a Splash and USA Swimming Foundation and Phillips 66 has really been focused on trying to get parents to not go through what my mom and my dad had to go through. Instead, tell them the importance of learning to swim. And you're a dad now. So as a parent yourself, how scary is it that it could just take a couple of seconds for your kid to go underwater? 
Um, it's terrifying. Um, I will tell you, Megan, the, the best thing about my son is that he got my traits. He loves water. Um, at the age of six months, whenever he was like crying in the middle of the night, my wife and I figured out that if we ran water and he heard running water, he would calm down. So he's naturally drawn to the water. He loves it, but it also brings that fear of, okay, well, that means we have to get him into some sort of swim lessons. I, I've been doing this for 12 years. I got to practice what I preach. We have to get, um, as parents, we have to make sure that he even is, is, is safe around water and that we're comfortable with him being around water. So um, we got him into swim lessons. And even at six months, he's taken to it. He loves it. He is a COVID baby, so he doesn't like other babies around him, but he loves being in the water. <laughs> So sweet. Um, I had Rowdy Gaines on my podcast not that long ago, and he brought up the fact that um, drowning is a huge cause of, cause of death. What impact has COVID had on um, practicing safe swimming and teaching children to swim? You know, when I started this, um, and Rowdy is like a big brother to me, obviously the Olympian piece, but he and I have been traveling for 12 years. Um, talking about how important it is, we believe and we know how important it is that people learn to swim. In 2009, um, right after I got the world record and the gold medal and someone came up to me, he was a friend who was like, do you know what you just did for the sport of swimming? Um, I had no idea what he meant by it until USA Swimming uh, came up to me with the statistics that at that time, 70% of African Americans didn't know how to swim. Um, at that time, 65% of Latinos didn't know how to swim. And at that time, 48% of Caucasians didn't know this one. So it's a generation, it's a big problem, but it's a generational problem within our culture as Americans. Mm -hmm. And it blew me away, but at the same time, I started thinking about all those people that look at me at 6'5 and say, well, shouldn't he be playing basketball? Shouldn't he be doing something, at least swimming? What's that swimming thing? And they were my friends that said that. Um, and all of those friends that I can think about, they were not safe around water. So that number became something very close to my heart as being, this is my way of giving back to the sport. I've got to help bring these numbers down. Um, you know, 10 years later, University of Memphis and UNLV did the study again, and the numbers dropped down to 64%. I never would have thought, Megan, that in my lifetime, I would have seen these numbers drop. And I was so proud. We were moving the needle. Things were happening. People were paying attention to swimming. Parents were getting their kids into swim lessons. And then boom, COVID hits. And all of, uh, I know policymakers have our, our best interest in heart. They're trying to make sure that we have a virus that we really still, to this day, still don't fully understand. The best thing to do is to shut down. I fully agree with it. You're absolutely right. But now that the CDC has put out that COVID cannot be transmitted on top of chlorinated water, yeah. but we're still closing pools. Those numbers that you asked about are creeping up. We saw them, I saw them really high in 2009. We started bringing them down a little bit and they're coming right back up now that pools are closed. People are not getting uh, formal lifeguard lessons. So we don't even, we can't even rely on lifeguards because they're not being trained. The students themselves, the swimmers themselves, the new swimmers, they're not able to find pools. Um, and so it's really a big thing that's close to my heart that we need to make sure the policymakers and parents understand it is important to, at all time, at any season, it is important to get your child into swim lessons. How early can you get your child into swim lessons? 
Rowdy and I have this debate often, um, <laughs> and he's, I mean, we, we come from water, so he, he's, he's ready at three months. I say six, I say about six. Um, that's when I got even my son into water and just, and again, it's not like, okay, let's, these videos, Megan, the, like the, the kids and the flipping upside, I, I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it, even yeah. as a swimmer, it freaks me out. But I just want my son to be comfortable around water. So that when we have those formal lessons where we start to learn the arm motions and the kicks, um, that he's, it's not a full shock. I want him to be comfortable around water and to have those lessons are so important. It's really important because so many people have backyard pools that you, like you said, all it takes is a couple of seconds or looking down at your phone for a minute and realizing that your child has stumbled into the water. So um, that's something that I didn't realize when I had interviewed Rowdy and I want to talk to you about it a little bit more. Also, another point that you bring up that I find interesting is the statistics of African-American swimmers. And, you know, being a world record breaker and a gold Olympic gold medalist, what does it mean to you to be able to bring diversity to it? You know, I get that question quite a bit. Um, and I, I, my name has been put into some wild categories, your tigers, Venus and Re I, I thank you, I appreciate it. I never put myself out there, I appreciate it though. There were people like Maritza Karaya and, and people before me that had have done this, but I'm honored to do that, to be that face and if, the, if people wanna associate with me, that, it just puts a bigger expectation that I want to stand for myself as I per, as I try to transition this sport into a more diverse sport, let's put it that way. I gotta be careful how I put this. I, as, as a role model, I wanna make sure that uh, this sport is inclusive. I want, I know USA Swimming is taking big leaps into making sure that that is the case. Um, and as a trailblazer, as a figurehead for swimming, um, it's a big goal of mine. And that's why I started working with USA Swimming Foundation and Philip 66 with Make a Splash. I'm continuing to do that. Um, someone asked me yesterday about retirement. And I was like, I don't really feel like I've retired because I'm still, it's just that it's shifted. I'm not racing, but I am still standing for what I believe in, which is getting our kids to learn to swim and definitely making swimming more inclusive for everyone. Um, so it, it is a little off the topic of what you were asking, but that's how I feel as, as, a, as a role model in the sport. I, I just want this next generation to not go through necessarily some of the things that I went through in some of the past um, swimmers of color. Um, we just want to, I just want to, I want it to be better than when I came into it. So I love the story that your dad, he was actually working out with or drafted by the Knicks. He was a basketball yeah. player. He wanted you to play basketball. Your mom said, let's get him into another sport. He's do something else. As a father now, do you think that that's something you're going to do with your son that you're going to say, you're going to be a swimmer or let's try something else? <laughs> Honestly, I want him to do whatever makes him happy. Um, that That is, I would never want him to feel like he has to do what I did. Um, and I, the thing about my dad was, yes, he wanted me to play basketball. Yes, he wanted to live his dreams through me. But when I found swimming and I said, dad, this is it, he was 100% per, uh, behind me and supportive. So that's the biggest thing for me. I'm gonna be supportive of whatever Avon does. I just want him to be a part of sport. There's so much that you learn in sport when, whether it's being a, a, a good loser, whether it's being time management, getting up at five o'clock in the morning, Megan, it teaches <laughs> you some stuff, um, time management, all of these things. So I just want him to be a part of sport in some way that there's, there's just lessons in there you just can't teach 
um, uh, every day um, that, that sport just gives you. So I want him to play soccer. I'll be honest. I, like, <laughs> I want to travel. I, yeah, be the Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's, let's go. Let's go travel. <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you about sports, though. I was a figure skater all the way through college, and those 4.45 a.m. alarms sucked, but it also taught me to manage times and seeing friends and balancing priorities, and I used to sleep in my tights, which was probably not right, but, you know, you become a... Roll out of bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, let's talk about your journey a little bit to becoming who you are today and getting where you're at. You, I love the story about when you got the break and you went over to um, JCC. Explain, yep. tell me that story. So um, there was a young girl, actually, it's so funny that you asked that question. There was a young girl who told me that she was kind of struggling and um, I really try my best to be on top of social media. And when I hear something from a fan, really trying to get back. And she said she was struggling about what was going on with her in high school and being on the team. And I had to share this story because um, when I first started swimming, I swam, a, I swam in Newark, New Jersey, very diverse area. Um, I think we had one white person on our team. Everyone else was black or, or Latin. And so when I swam at meets was when I felt, oh, wait, this sport looks very different. I didn't feel that on my team. And at the age of about 15 years old, my mom was not, didn't love, she was the secretary of the sport or of our team, didn't love what was going on and said, I, I can't follow you on this team. You like, I need you to get on another team. And I was like, mom, these are my friends. I'm an only child. You can't take my friends. And she's like, no, I need you on another team. And another friend of mine comes up to me and says, I got a team for you. And I was like, what? And he goes, go to this address. I was like, address what's the team name he's like don't worry about that i was like what why not he's like don't worry about it so i go i go with my dad i get there and i see these letters jcc i had no idea what it meant but i walked in the door and i remember sitting there looking around with my dad and i looked at my dad and i was like dad there's no black people here jewish <laughs> community center there's no black people here and he looks at me he goes well Colin, if you play basketball, like I told you, you wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> Cracked up laughing. But that was my first experience being on a team where I was the only person of color on the team. And um, if it wasn't for that team, though, still, the people, I, I still get messages and talk to the people from that team. Um, I was just brought in as if race and my religion, especially, it didn't matter. I was part of that team. And so it was such a beautiful thing. And, and now that I tell the story more and more, it's a, it was a pivotal moment in my career of accepting the fact as a person of color that I'm in a sport and I'm going to have to deal with being the only person of color at this level. Um, and I learned it early because the rest of my career was very similar. With the current climate and everything that's coming to light now, what do you tell people when they reach out to you and they tell they might say something along the lines of, you know, I'm the only African-American person doing it. What do you yeah. tell a young girl or young boy who reaches out to you and says that? You know, I, I think that the biggest thing, and it's how I find success professionally when it comes to swimming, my work life, relationship, everything, take it day by day, take it piece by piece, um, focus on the goal. What is your ultimate goal in all of this? And I think that that's where people get um, 
when you look at the pie, it just, it looks so hard. It looks so like the Olympics. Oh my God, it's four years away. Don't think about it like that. Think about today. Think about tomorrow. Oh my God, look at that time that I have to go just to see if I can get to college. Look at that time just to go to junior Olympics. I don't think I can do that. And then all the negative thoughts come in. You have to think about the goal and take it day by day. So when it comes to any athlete, but especially when it comes to um, a lot, and unfortunately, as we see in our culture right now, when it comes to people of color, it's just another layer of something else that they have to kind of get over beyond just what's the time standard or the expectation of them. They're dealing with other things. Maybe there's a, a coach that's not saying the right thing or a team member that's not saying the right thing. Or for in my situation, parents that weren't saying the right thing. Mm -hmm. You got to deal with another layer. So what I tell them to do is focus on the dream. Focus on your what you plan to do. I have a cell phone which keeps going off and I apologize. But on the back of my phone, I used to put my time on the back of my phone. So every time I would look at my phone, I would see the goal time that I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. So many times, Megan, what people do is they make a goal and then they're like, all right, well, I want to be president of the United States, which is timely for me to say that. But you have to figure out how you're going to do it. I call these people the I'm gonna's. I have so many family members that are like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. How are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. You have to take it day by day to get there and you have to map it out, plan how you're going to get there. So when I, when I explain it to, to young folks like that, I, I think that they get it and you have to make it tangible for yourself. That's thus the phone. We look at this, God knows how many times a day. Mm -hmm. Make it real for yourself and focus on your goals. I love that. Yeah, it's all about putting the vision out there, manifesting it and move taking aligned action to reach those goals. When you walked the building of your first swimming pool, did you ever think to yourself, I'm going to break a world record one day and then become an Olympic gold medalist? Absolutely not. <laughs> I grew up um, middle class, Irvington, New Jersey, snot-nosed kid. Never would have thought that that was something for me. Uh, like I said, like my team was very diverse, but I knew what was going on Like when I went to swim meets that I looked different from the people that were doing great. When I looked at the, uh, the Olympics, I saw Gary Hall Jr. I saw David Fox. I saw all these people swimming the events that I wanted to swim at Biondi. And I'm like, they don't look like me. So I realized that, but I never internalized it as that was something that was gonna hold me back. And again, what I focused on, Megan, was what I was doing that day. I wasn't looking at Phelps or Miyandi or someone at that, that level. I was looking at Peter over there who thinks he can beat me. No, I'm a, <laughs> that's how I did it. I took it step by step. And then I went to a meet and I said, here's a kid that keeps winning. Mm. You're next. Oh, here's another meet that I'm going to. NCAAs, mm, you're next. And I always took it at the level that I was. I didn't look at the pie like this because I think that that would have overwhelmed me. And then I would, those negative thoughts would have worked. They would have worked on like, I can't beat this guy. And I remember, I'll tell you a, a story that was a big pivotal moment. He's my brother, I love him to death. But I was standing, I had gone to three meets, back to back to back, world of oh, two meets. NCAAs, World Championships, and now here I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. My coach is making me swim this 100 freestyle. And I look to my side, and I see this guy, and he's got this face on like there's no way he's going to lose. And I look at him, and I was like, I don't care how many times you've gone to the Olympics, Michael. 
I'm gonna whoop your butt. But that's where I was. That was the level that I finally got to. Uh -huh. And I sw swam the hundred free. Yeah, he beat me. That, that wasn't the point though. That's not the point of the story. The story is, yeah, he beat me. But I touched the wall and he looked at me and he said to me, finally. And I was like, what? Man, I was supposed to win. I was supposed to win. Finally, we have our fourth guy for the four by 100 relay for the Olympics. I get chills telling that story that gave to me day, chills. Right? And, and, and yes. let me tell you, when I swam that race, before I swam that race, I didn't even want to swim the 100. I just, this is my third meet. I'm, I'm jet lagged. I'm tired. And I just saw him and I was like, you are not going to beat me. No, 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 no. And I got second to him by like a 10th. Like it was very close, but it was something that he saw in me and obviously the world saw in him. But he said to me, my guy, it's us. We're going to go against that French team and we're going to win. We're going to bring back the four by 100 relay. We're going to bring it back to the States. I trained my butt off that weekend. Oh, that, that year. Let me tell you, <laughs> I was fired up. And, and two years later, we, we did and we still have the world record. But what is training? What does training look like for that? For those who don't know, like what's your typical schedule to become one of the greats? Um, it, it's funny because so many people, they say, and you said figure skating, right? I want to make mm -hmm. sure I get that right, right? Yeah. You, you, it's the same thing. It's the grind. You're, you're up at four. You, you go, you go to practice, you go to school, you go back to practice, you do your homework, you go to sleep, and then you redo it again. Mm -hmm. And I just think that you get so used to that, that it becomes such a norm that it's hard to even break or think of it any other way. Um, for me, it was, that, it was exactly that. We had morning practice, I would go to classes, I'd go to afternoon practice, lift, swim, I'd go back, do homework, go to sleep. And then replay, replay, replay. A lot of people said, you know, oh, you didn't have a life. Well, to me, I did. That was my life. I loved swimming. I loved my sport. I loved what I did. You loved figure skating. It's the same thing. It's that mentality that what do you find the most important in your life? If it's video games and hanging out with friends, then you're going to be really good at hanging out with your friends in video games. <laughs> if it's figure skating, if it's curling, if it's swimming, if you put the time into it, that's what you're going to be really good at. What was it? 10,000 hours makes a master. It's yes. the same thing. It's what you put your focus towards. So on an average day or average week, I was doing 40 hours. If it wasn't training or swim or training is in lifting, swimming, or some kind of um, uh, recovery or training room, it was about 40 hours a week. It's a full-time job. As a pro, at least. calories a day were you eating during this time? I'm very count calories, Megan. That is cruel and mean, and I don't want to live my life like that. I just worked harder whenever I decided to have a pizza. It would have been like five thousand calories. Oh, easily, easily. Yeah. Now I, I don't think Michael did the twenty thousand that everyone keeps talking about. But let me yeah. tell you, he can pack some food away. We 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 definitely put some dents into some cafeterias when we went training especially at the <laughs> olympic training center we would sit there for at least an hour and we're just shoveling food so well you know what you earned it you deserved it and hey <laughs> everyone gets a little reward now and then i have to ask you know on this podcast i like to ask every guest it's called moment of clues because it's about authenticity 
mm -hmm. which is my last name, your moment of truth. So for you, was there ever a moment in your career where you thought you weren't in alignment with your truth and being authentic to who you are? Yes. Um, so, and it's funny because I had to change and this story is, is exactly what I like to, to tell kids and tell, well, your audience what I did. So in 2008, here I am, the first black American to have a world record. Here I am with a gold medal. Here I am, all the NBA guys are coming to our, our swim meet. I'm meeting Kobe, rest in peace. I'm meeting LeBron, I'm meeting all of my idols. And when people are in town, they're calling me being like, hey, you want to hang out? And I'm like, ha ha, someone practice at 5 a.m.? Or they're in town, I want to hang out. Mm, yeah, I want to go <laughs> hang out. So I lost my focus. I lost that focus that I got when Mike said to me, you're our fourth. And so when we went towards 2012, 2011, the year before, I went and represented Team USA in uh, Beijing, China for world championships and didn't even make semifinals. Um, it was terrible. And I remember Bob Bowman, Michael's coach, coming up to me and saying, you know, man, this really stinks. One of the best 100 freestylers in the world can't get his stuff together because he can't focus on swimming. And I was like, man, that hurt. And then my own coach said something on the same lines. And then my mom, when I got home, she was like, what is that? And now, Megan, my mom doesn't even know times, but she was like, that was awful. Don't you go out there and disrespect the Jones name and not swim as fast as you possibly can. And that didn't even hit it. What hit it was, I remember Cesar Cielo saying on national media that it would take a national disaster for him not to win the 50 freestyle in the 2012 games. Yeah, that, that's what did it. And so I tell you about putting it on your phone, doing all of these things. I put pictures of him in my house so that whenever I didn't want to go to practice, I saw a picture of him like this. And I was like, I gotta go to practice. I had one on the fridge. So when I opened the fridge, all right, I guess I won't eat that slice of pizza. That would, shouldn't have been in there anyway, but I won't eat that <laughs> slice of pizza right now. And when I wanted to go to practice and I was like almost there, but like I was turning around cause Call of Duty was playing and I was like, ooh, I could. I had a picture of him at the door. So everything, I was living the truth, living what I wanted my life to be. I wanted to win. And so I ended up going to the trials. No one was paying attention to me because I swam so poorly the year before. I win the 50 free, I get second in the 100 free. I shocked the world by being the premier sprinter for Team USA. I go to the Olympics, I swim the 50 freestyle. First 50 free, I'm first, number one, Caesar second. And in my head, I'm like, yep, thank God I put all those pictures of him in my house. This is working, yes. I swim the semis, we tie, and I'm like, ah, it's okay, all right, we still got the finals, here we go. And I told you what my goal was. My goal was to beat Caesar. So I got on the block. I take my mark. I go. I do what you're never supposed to do is look onto the side. I see out of the right side. I'm ahead of Caesar. I got this. I hit the wall. I jump up. I look at my name, and there's a two next to it because Flo Manadu in lane two beat me. Oh. So I go, what? 
the, and I see my mom and she goes, you better smile. <laughs> so I sit there and I smile and I'm like, oh God, congratulations, congratulations. And it didn't hit me until later because my coach came up to me and he goes, and he was walking away when he said it. He goes, well, at least you hit your goal. I never said I wanted to win, Megan. I said I wanted to beat Caesar. So I did it, but I never said I would win. So my moment of truth is two things. When you want to put your mind to something, live it. Make it real for yourself. And then the second thing is you need to be very specific about what your goal is because you might hit it and it might not be all that you wanted it to be. So be specific. <laughs> that is such great advice and I couldn't agree more. You can work so hard towards something, but if you don't get it exactly right in your mind, you're going to get what you want 100% of the time, but it yeah, might not be not what right. you really wanted. So be clear. I love that. Um, at the end of this podcast, I like to play two truths and a lie where you tell me two truths about yourself and one lie and I guess what the lie is. Oh man, you could have given me some money. You could have started it with that so that I could have thought about this. Um, okay. Um, Let's see if you're as quick of a thinker as you are a swimmer. All right. So, oh man, this is tough. Okay. So, I'm terrified of spiders. I live in North Carolina. And I raced Prince Harry in a pool in Las Vegas. I'm going to go with the lie as you're terrified of spiders. No. <laughs> what is the lie? Actually, yes, it is. I'm sorry. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, all the other stuff is true. That's right. See, you got to give me some time. But yeah, that was the lie. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> terrified of them. But all the other stuff is true. Yeah. <laughs> That is so cool. Tell me this Prince Harry story. I need to know no more now. Oh, man. I'm so mad that I brought that up. Um, so <laughs> we, I was in Las Vegas celebrating the Olympics and saw Prince Harry. We were at Excess and he was in the army, as you know, and he's like, I can swim. And he, he, he said to Ryan and I, he's like, I bet I can beat both of you. And so we took our shirts off and our jeans, jumped in the pool and raced Prince Harry. And it was funny because all the bodyguards were all around us and it was, it was awesome. It was just a fun experience. So you beat him? Oh, well, yeah. And he's good though, don't get me wrong, he's good. he's good. He's a good swimmer, he's a good swimmer. Is that why he didn't invite you to the wedding? Because he- That was why, I was a little upset. You know? <laughs> and Meghan Markle, she's, you know, it would have been nice to meet Meghan. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to meet her. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. I won't take too much more of it. I really appreciate you coming on today and expressing the importance of learning to swim to save more lives. And I appreciate it. It was great getting to speak with you. It, thank you for having me, Megan. This was a lot of fun. And, and I, you could have given me more time. Could have thought of something better. <laughs> next time. I'll give you next time. Next time. I'll be coming back. <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Moment of Cluth podcast, now available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Meng Cluth. If you enjoyed this episode, please download it and share with others. Subscribe to be notified when new episodes air, visit MeganCluth.com to get in touch, head over to my YouTube page to watch my latest interviews, and stay tuned for more great conversations.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.